Stuart Rose, Executive Chairman of Marks and Spencers, and Miranda Curtis, uh, President Liberty at Global Japan. Thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast uh, series today. We've just heard your Leadership in Action, a Failure and Success panel uh, introduced by Dennis Stevenson. Can you tell us a little bit about your favourite tips for business? Stuart, perhaps if we start with you, you talked about taking risks. Well, I think it's impossible in businesses today to move forward if you don't constantly take risks, but you also have to check all the time whether the risks are real risks or imagined risks. Um, But risk-taking is about success. And and perhaps people would be afraid to take risks because they fear failure. Yes, I mean, if you're a fear of failure, you shouldn't be in any sort of commercial activity. Uh, You can't, the two things don't go together. But, I mean, taking risk can be exciting. And actually, sometimes if you've taken a risk and you fail, actually, that can be an important learning. Uh, My old boss used to say to me, there's nothing wrong with failure, Stuart, providing you don't make the same failure twice. And you talked about something called a sense check. Uh, In Suffolk, we used to call it usual common girl. I think you talked about common sense. Yes, I did. I quoted my friend Philip Green, who said the trouble with common sense is it's not very common, and it's true, it isn't very common. And, you know, we, a, a good example, perhaps, is that we all know that for hundreds of years, alchemists tried to turn lead into gold, and you can't do it. And yet, you know, recently, in the global economy, we've seen uh, people apparently turning lead into gold, and most of it's now turned back to lead again. Common sense might have told us differently. Miranda, if we turn to you, you talked about common ground and divergent ground. What do you mean by those terms? I think in any successful joint venture, it's really important to establish what is the area of common ground and where the areas of divergence are. Having different perspectives isn't necessarily a problem as long as you acknowledge and understand them. But the corollary to that is that in any negotiation, you've also got to focus on what's really important to you. I've seen too many negotiations founder on points which effectively have been trivial um, in the long run. And you also talked about food being an important part of of the negotiation process. I've heard that before, actually, that, that taking someone out for a very good meal every so often and being absolutely blunt and frank with them is important. I wasn't quite putting it like that. I was thinking more of the fact that if you're going to be in a long-term relationship with somebody, you will find yourself in endless meetings, but you will also very often find yourself together in the evening. That's often when the real conversation takes place, when you get underneath the facade or the formal negotiation and you discover what's really going on. And that context of a meal, some alcohol, is an opportunity to really develop the relationship of trust that you need with your partner. The other factor for us that we always thought was fun was that when we were looking at you know, how to identify a business opportunity you know, from countries all around the globe, um, we ended up with very simple criteria. We had to like the people, which meant we had to respect and trust them, and actually we did have to like the food. It's one of the reasons we never really were successful in Germany. And does it also allow that kind of atmosphere you're creating, people to express their fears as well, because that's important? Yes, I mean, that's where, as I say, you, you learn to, to you, you discover the human dimension of people, you find out what they're worried about, you find out what pressures they're under, you discover what vulnerabilities they have, um, and once they've actually been able to express that and discover that you haven't abused that information, you've established a much better relationship for the partnership going forward. Stuart, you also told people to stick at it, didn't you? You know, just keep going. 
Well, I think that's pretty well true of everything you do in life. And the temptation today is that you try something for five minutes and then if it doesn't work, you move on. And in business, you do have to have some stamina. You do have to, if your plan appears to have some common sense, to, to stick at it to see actually if it can gain some traction. Uh, clearly, if you keep banging your head against the wall and you get a headache, you realize it's probably not a good thing to do. But you do need to, be, uh, you take, you need to take a view and, and, and give it time. Someone raised from the floor the question of monotony, didn't they? You know, which brings you back to your tip of sticking at it. Yes, that's a slightly different question, I thought, which was about, you know, people saying, well, it's a little bit, actually, I thought the question was, 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 was quite interesting because we get lots of young people coming to our business who want to do something today, something else tomorrow, and something else the day after. And actually, I have to say, there's not a lot of substitute for actually sticking at a job for a period of time. And if you are any good, you will be recognized. And that's part and parcel of what you do in the working environment. A lot of work is boring. A lot of work is quite drudgery a lot of word isn't very sexy and exciting but that's what is a part and parcel of running a business if you run a business successfully from time to time you get to do the sexy bits but it's not all you know it's not all fun and games Miranda you're nodding your head there so I'll let you say why I'm, I'm agreeing with that very much. I think the greatest compliment I was ever paid in Japan was after a, a particularly tough negotiation, which took two and a half years to conclude. And at the end of that, we had one of our dinners with a great deal of alcohol. And my Japanese counterpart said to me, Miranda-san, you are very sincere, but very stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> which brings us back to your smiling whilst you nod, the joy of your work, because you talked about it in terms of actually international deal-making being a magic process. You obviously enjoy it. Yes, I think it's absolutely fascinating to actually bring people together from wildly different cultures to achieve a common aim. And if you can uh, accomplish a successful deal and actually get a transaction done, get a negotiation completed, get a business up and running, build value, it's enormously rewarding and satisfying. And to be able to do that across different cultures, to me, has been uh, immensely exciting. Dennis Stevenson's Leadership in Action, Failure and Success panel We've done success. What about failure? I, I, I know, Stuart, that, that you talked a little bit about staying too long at M&S the first time round. Yes, that, that was a sort of person. Somebody asked the question, which is, what do I regret? Uh, I, I think that, uh, and of course, the benefit of hindsight is, is a great thing. But um, I, I think I probably could have, I'd learned as much as I was going to learn at M&S uh, in the first 10 years, and I stayed 17. So I suppose you could argue that the second seven years were wasted, and I could have probably put that to better use. But of course, I didn't know that till afterwards. Um, but I was just also trying to, to, to as a tip to the, to the students we spoke to today, remind them that actually, now that we live in a global world, uh, now that we live in a world which is multicultural, now that we live in a world where things happen that much more quickly, actually staying in one place too long is probably potentially dangerous. And, and you also told that lovely story about having losers all around you to your right and to your left, didn't you? Well, that was Larry Ellison. I, was, I wasn't sure whether to use it or not, but actually it was the, the young lady who asked the question about are we, you know, are we by getting an MBA becoming overqualified? And I think there is a little bit of danger today that you, know, you stick another letter after your name and you've got another qualification, another degree. It's not going to actually always help you do the real world stuff outside so clearly it helps you with the discipline of, of, of the intellectual discipline but you have to have both sides of it and then somebody else asked the question about leadership what makes for successful leadership or not you don't only need luck you need common sense and you need a good intellect and it's a combination of all three now Miranda you, you again you're nodding and you agree with that don't you but because you know it, it is about sort of seeing yourself as a winner and and you know sticking in there Yes, but I'd add to that, um, and one of the, the lessons I learned, I think, the hard way, was that 
Um, finance was never really my thing, so I, I failed the uh, finance exams when I was on the MBA program and didn't get the qualification. But I navigated my way into an organization where I surrounded myself with people who did have those skills. And I think that that leads to a, a broader point, which is very important to me, is that if you can put together a good team with complementary skills um, of people who trust each other but respect each other's uh, capabilities, then you know, you're a very, very effective unit for getting deals done and running businesses. And it's, it's also a very enjoyable way of working. And an MBA isn't enough in itself. You want people to get their hands dirty, don't I, you? I agree entirely with Stuart that you know, there's no substitute for experience um, and um, practical, real-life um, uh, business activity. Now, one thing that was introduced into the panel that, that you both disagreed with was that nice people don't come first. Let's deal with, with you, Stuart. Do you think that's true? Well, yes, I do. And I think perhaps it, I should clarify it by saying, actually, I'm perfectly happy for people to be tough negotiators. I'm perfectly happy for them to absolutely push people to the limit. I'm perfectly happy for them to be quite ruthless. But I think you can be ruthless and nice. And that's the point. And, and, and generally speaking, most of the successful people that I have worked with in my life have actually been nice people, but there's been as tough as hell. And, and when a question came from the floor, you also gave that little nugget of a tip, let the other person speak first. Well, that was a negotiating tool. I mean, I often find I've had a couple of actually difficult negotiations in the last year or so, and I've almost trained myself now to say, Stuart, whatever you do, don't be the first to speak. Just sit there and let that person, because actually people don't like the discomfort of a silence, and actually it means that they're on the back foot automatically. It's quite a good tip, and it's worth remembering. And Miranda, you talked about having negotiated your own redundancy deal recently and reinventing yourself at whatever age you are. If you come out of um, university uh, with an MBA, if you come out of the Cambridge Judge Business School with one, or 20 years down the line. Yes, I think there are the the the, the joy of the uh, global world and, and new media is that uh, you know we have constantly opportunities presented to reinvent ourselves i don't you know i've, I've brought the end uh, this particular chapter of my of my life and my career to an end but um, i'm starting to think now about what the new opportunities might be and they could be international they could be in the uk but i think one has to remain very positive about exploring new opportunities and it's also about your partnership with others and your maturity when you're involved in negotiations or business relationships, isn't it? I think somebody said that, that actually, you know, your boss is always right. Well, I'm not sure that your boss is always right. I think actually it puts a lot of pressure on us as bosses that we don't abuse that apparent, apparentness that we are right. Uh, I, I think bosses actually, ha good bosses, have to recognize one thing, I suppose, which is just because we're bosses, we don't have the exclusivity of good ideas. And I think good bosses understand where to bring in other talent, which is what Miranda was talking about. Uh, and, and good bosses know when, 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 to, uh, when to back off. Good bosses know when to encourage people. Good bosses know when to do things a different way. Or good bosses know when actually just to shut up. Yes, I, I would add to that a really good boss is someone who is tough, has integrity, and looks to the future. Okay, uh, Stuart Rose, Executive Chairman, M&S, Miranda Curtis, President, Liberty, Global Japan. Thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. I've enjoyed it very much, and I suppose we should also thank Ms. Stevenson. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Dennis.